This is Driven By, a podcast where we explore the intersection between passion and purpose. Sitting down and having conversations with risk takers, change makers, builders, and entrepreneurs to find out what it is that drives them. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Hope Wiseman. I'm the founder and CEO of WiseCo, and we uh, own and operate Marion, Maine, which is right now a medical cannabis dispensary in Maryland. We're about to go adult use in July, um, so that's super exciting. But yeah, I've been in the cannabis industry um, going on almost 10 years now, which is super crazy. Um, but it's been super exciting. There's been so many things that have changed in the industry. Um, also, you know, just like personally, my background is in finance. Then I've done a lot of other fun stuff. I've been a Falcons cheerleader. Um, I grew up doing pageants and like dance competitions, all that good stuff. Um, I box now with you, Karen. So, you know, that's how we met. And, you know, I'm just, I'm really into staying in shape and being healthy, um, which I think also helps me be a better leader. Um, yeah, I, I do a lot of different stuff. I've lived a lot of lives. <laughs> I have been like so eternally blessed to get to know you. Um, it has been such a pleasure being able to box alongside you, being able to work out alongside you. And now we're getting to have this conversation, which I'm just like so excited about because I think there's something to be said about somebody that like has a cool job or has like started a cool business. But on top of that, um, you are like very much a pillar of a woman female entrepreneur just out there, like having active conversations, not just like, you know, to kind of help your business grow, but just also help the overall industry grow. And I feel like you've been having a lot of like very cool conversations with like, you know, state and local government, et cetera. And I've just been sitting back and watching and just been so impressed by you. We already talked a little bit about how we know each other through fitness. Um, I'm really, really excited just to tell our listeners, you know, ultimately how you've gone and lived all of these different lives and how you've ended up where you are today. I do love the pageant, um, you know, a little bit. I do love the cheerleader a little bit and all of those things are wonderful, but how have we gotten to be who we are today? Just like owning and operating your own business and being really an advocate for uh, the cannabis industry. You know, this industry, it's its emerging. It's new. Um, I like to say that if we have 100 laps, we're probably on like lap like 10, you know, so it's still very new. And that means that I got in like on like lap two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, so cannabis, legal cannabis goes all the way back to like the 90s in California when they started kind of this compassionate care program where people could do home grow um, and then actually like sell to dispensaries. It was very, very different than these legal structures that are coming up now. Um, but you know, I've always been interested in the industry. So I had always been following it. I was always, I was also raised by a woman who is, uh, very entrepreneurial in herself. My grandmother is, uh, my great grandmother was, so I was raised to look for opportunities like this. And um, like I said, I always had the interest of cannabis and I, I knew that legalization would would make its way to the East Coast. But as it did, um, that was around the time I was graduating from college. Got it. And, you know, I just saw the opportunity to get into an emerging industry at the ground floor level. I also knew that 
because of the potential of the industry that the types of people that would be trying to get in uh, would be very well capitalized and have a lot of resources that I didn't have. So, mm-hmm. you know, ground floor, first stab at the first round of licenses would be my best bet. Um, so I just, you know, I kind of figured, what do I have to lose to to go after this and built a small team of pretty much my family. Um, and we went after a license and we're fortunate enough to win. And I think all the advocacy came because to be in this industry, like, at this level, you, you have no choice but to be on the front lines. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is driven by legislation. So there's no way to be involved in this industry and completely ignore what's happening um, in your local and state and even federal government because it affects your right. business so much. So why not be a part of the conversation? And then, you know, me being a Black woman and this industry having such a history um with a negative history with black and brown communities, I feel like it's also kind of, I, I'm, it's, it's, there's less than 20% of the industry is owned by women and yeah. less than almost 2% of the industry is owned by black people. So as you can imagine, black women is a my, very minute <laughs> number uh, in the space. So I, I have a lot of, you know, I, I take on the responsibility, even though it's not what I intended for. I just, you know, thought it was a great business opportunity, love the industry, but the advocacy just came with it. And I'm really proud. to. Yeah. You have a lot to be proud of. I mean, that's like a massive thing. I mean, aside from the business, you have a lot to be proud of just in the way that you've like obviously grown into this industry too, to come in at the ground floor um, and to be able to, you know, take on so much, but also to be able to educate yourself and understand, you know, which emerging markets are coming up. Um, you know, who do you need to like have conversations with? You've had the opportunity to have massive speaking engagements at very large conferences, which is just like amazing. Um, I've been, I think, most impressed by the fact that you are, um, you know, a female, you are a black female in an industry that is, um, you know, coming up against a lot of I would say unnecessary, like scrutiny. Yeah. Scrutiny is the best word probably. And I mean, it comes from like our government, you know, kind of being all over the place, right. Having previously made this like a massive offense and then being able to pull it back to target minority communities, you know, used to um, incarcerate black and brown communities. So now trying to erase the stigma that was so embedded into Mm -hmm you know, our nation. It's it's difficult. It is. But I think that even from when I started almost 10 years ago now, things have changed a lot. Yeah. Um, people are much more accepting. Most of the country, when you look at like polling results, it's always like over 60 and 70% that people support cannabis legalization. How and where and why and all that stuff people argue about. Yes. Right. But people overall understand now that cannabis has medicinal value. Right. Um, and it's not dangerous and that it should be taxed and regulated at the very right. You know, the industry is not going anywhere. Right. It's not. Yeah. What would you say is like the number one reason you think why even some of the hyper conservative states are starting to like loosen up a little bit? Do you think it's just based off of generational shifts and changes or do you think it's, you know, education? You know, I think that originally, so California, I don't think this was the case, um, but I think that a lot of states come on board originally for the tax revenue. Um, I think that California originally, I mean, California is just more uh, liberal 
anyway uh, for most things. So that's okay. It's interesting. I was just having a conversation with a broker um, who sells and and represents companies all over the country. And he was saying that it's so interesting in states uh, that are a little bit more liberal and free, like Maine or Vermont or something like that. When they do their licensing, it's more like, Oh yeah, you guys, you know, the legislators, you guys want cannabis? And they're like, okay. And then they say, okay, who wants the lighter? You know? And then in states that are more, you know, densely populated or have more minorities or more urban states like Mm -hmm. New Jersey, um, even a Maryland, Illinois, Mm -hmm. they come up with these really, really strict licensing structures where you have to jump through all these hoops, even to qualify as a social equity applicant. It's systemic. Yeah, it's very systemic and it's difficult. Um, You know, I I don't say it in a way that I believe that like cannabis is different than any other space, you know? Mm -hmm. So like sometimes people are like, oh, this industry is bad. I'm like, at least cannabis shines a light on what's happening and is attempting to put some type of preference towards, you know, someone other than a well-capitalized white male. Yeah. Um, So they're trying, um, but it's very difficult to put, you know, the horse back in the barn on something that, like you said, is systemic throughout our entire economic system, system. like the entire thing, capitalism, period. And yeah, it's it's yeah. And it's just exacerbated a little bit in cannabis because the industry is like growing so quick. So people want our, you know, they come in and they're, they're kind of taking advantage of the growth. And also because it's so highly regulated and federally illegal, there's not a lot of access to capital. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, someone where it's more, it's difficult for them to get access to capital regardless. Yeah. You add an extra layer on, um, it becomes impossible. So the people that win are people that have like, are independently wealthy. Right. Right. Which is again, there's a level of systemic, systemic like issues tied to that. And then some capacity as well. I think, um, what's interesting is that you did have a finance background and then stepping into entrepreneurship and and stepping into, again, an industry that we're talking, you know, does have um, a massive like opportunity from a capitalistic standpoint. I'm curious, like how much your education background has helped you out or if you feel like, yeah, okay, it's armed me a little bit, but like really you're kind of learning and and building the ship as you go. Yeah. I mean, I'd say a little bit of both. I will say that the soft skills Mm-hmm. And I gained a lot of hard skills too, but the soft skills that I gained from going through, you know, the I, the the journey of getting a job in investment banking, all the internships that I had, um, all the interviewing that I did, and then finally my full time job the year that I was working, um, I just really learned how to figure things out, uh, yeah. how to work long hours, how to just kind of grind through. Um, and I feel like those skills have been the most, it probably gave me the confidence I needed to be able to do what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Had I not gone through that journey of investment banking, I don't know if I would have felt like I was qualified enough or that I could even do what I was doing. I I might've just felt like, no, I can't go run a company yet. I'm not prepared or I don't have the experience. Um, but investment banking, I mean, you know, they're throwing you in rooms. I was young. Um, when I was at JP Morgan, I was in rooms with CEOs of companies that I was just shocked, you know? So it definitely gave me a level of confidence that helped me 
hard skill wise, sometimes I say, I laugh. I'm like, I wish I had a few more years there mm-hmm. rather than corporate America, specifically investment banking. Cause I do feel like, um, had I like sharpened my modeling skills and all that a little bit better, I would be unstoppable, but Hey, you know, can't be great at everything. I have a feeling <laughs> you are unstoppable. Um, so putting a pin in this really quickly, cause I do want to come back to this. When you look back to like when you were little hope, like baby hope, maybe not baby, but you know, kind of coming into her own like little girl moment. What did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> so I, when I was younger, I definitely knew I, my mom's a dentist, right? Okay. And my dad worked in a hospital, administrative side, but worked in the hospital. So I was always like, people always thought, oh, you're going to want to be a doctor or a dentist. No. Sure. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be Miss America first and <laughs> a lawyer. Um, and I just knew it. So I was always arguing with people. I love that. It's interesting. <laughs> I mean, you kind of, you got to take yourself into the pageant world at one point yeah. or another. And, you know, the lawyer aspect is interesting too, in the way that like you are having to be so well read up on um, regulations and, you know, state and local law and even federal laws. I mean, you're kind of getting to do a little bit of both of that. And I, I think that there is a level of pageantry and what you, what you have to do when I, you know, with the way that you have to interact with people and the way you have to get stakeholders engaged and involved and in, in making sure that everyone's bought in on your vision. So it's, um, it's interesting just to understand kind of how like it all kind of comes together. Yeah. Comes together. yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like pageants uh, gave me the, you know, I can kind of turn it on, turn it off when I need to. Yes, ma'am. Um, and I just remember being like 15 going to mock interview practice and like <laughs> answering questions about current events and things like that. Now, you know, that's not hard for me when someone sticks a mic in my face or they're like, hey, can you get up and talk about how you feel about this? I'm used to that, you know, having yeah. a platform, having to communicate that. Um, been doing it since I was a little girl. So See, that is like a plug right there. I mean, there's good <laughs> and bad parts of pageantry yeah. or like any of that. But just generally speaking, being able to put young women in a position, um, you know, where they are able to like kind of hold ground and like be confident in their space. And it doesn't have to be in pageants, but just like understanding that this is like a, you're setting skills up for potentially, you know, entrepreneurship at a long term. Um, so going back to this, this world where you were living, you were in investment banking and then kind of, you know, going through and having, having, a grind that's tied to, I mean, investment banking is like heavy for a lot of people. Um, do you remember like the moment we were like, uh, uh-uh, like, no, this isn't it for me. There's something else for me. Mm-hmm, I do. I, um, I mean, I always knew, I remember being in New York. So I ended up taking a full-time job in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, where I went to school, but I remember being in New York, you know, is like four in the morning and waiting for the train. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't even like this that much. Yeah. No, like, yeah, no, because I'm not going to get home. It's not like I'm going to be home at like two or three. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to be home at like eight or nine. And I'm right, going to yeah. have to like eat and go to sleep and like wake up and do it again. You know, I'm just like, no, I can't do this. I can't imagine this being the next 10 years. Right. Um, then I took a job at a different bank in Atlanta. I thought not being like physically on Wall Street would be a little bit better for me. And I, I pretty much decided early on, I don't want to be a career investment banker. I'm not trying to be an MD one day. Yeah. You know, so I don't have to go to the best bank on Wall Street. I just got to get a job. Right. Um. And I, I, I remember like I moved right across the street from my job. Like I could walk to work every day. 
Um, <laughs> I was that lazy. But I was like, look, if I'm going to be here 12 hours, you know, the least I could do is like walk across the street to eat a sandwich out of that, um, that, that environment. But I remember one morning, like being in the shower and I was just like crying my eyes out. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to feel like, again, I was like, nope, staying in Atlanta didn't help. Um, so I think at that point that my brain started shifting, um, and I just was accepting energy of, of new ideas. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's when, you know, how like you start thinking of a yellow car, then all of a sudden you see yellow car, yellow car, Mm -hmm. you manifest it almost. I I had that moment, like, and I remember it was that morning I was like crying in the shower. I was like, yeah, mind shift. Like I gotta do something else. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just started seeing cannabis stuff everywhere. Right. What year was this? This is 2014. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it like everywhere. CNBC, Time Magazine, um, Dr. Gupta uh, did that uh, documentary. I love Dr. Gupta. (laughs) I love Sanjay Gupta. Yeah, that's it. And and I'd always been a cannabis user. Yeah. And I was high performing still. So it was kind of like a secret, except for like, if you knew, you knew. Um, so for me, I'm like, why am I getting these signs from like a work perspective mm-hmm. about this? And I just, you know, I did my research and I remember like when I saw that Maryland had just legalized uh, medical cannabis, I was like, oh, this is why, this is mm-hmm. what, this is what you're trying to draw my attention to. Mm-hmm. And I just went for it. Everything just started falling into place. Like whenever that happens for anybody that's like, how do I know if I'm on the right track? Like things just start falling into place. Maybe you'll text someone and they'll be like, darn, I was just about to text you. Like, yeah, things like that happen to me all the time. That, that, you know, that's how, those are my signs that, that I know I'm in alignment. Well, I think part of that is also just allowing yourself to be receiving of that, right? A lot mm-hmm. of people write things off. They don't really take time to pause and kind of allow those things to come to them and, and yeah. recognize that, okay, this chip has fallen. Now this chip has fallen. And all of a sudden, all your chips are out and like, okay, this is, this is my path. And I think oftentimes it comes from us moving too quickly and not just taking enough time to like really, really sit and think about what it is that we want or what we don't want. And then being able to cultivate like an environment that ultimately, um, you know, satisfies our needs while also allowing us to, to find fulfillment. You were, a cannabis user for, for long, you've been a cannabis user, right? For a mm-hmm. while. Do you feel that it is sometimes difficult for people to shift mentality from being a user to wanting to like run, run a business? I guess like for you, what was that experience? Like, you're like, yeah, I, I yeah, I use cannabis. Like I'm pretty well educated because it's something that I'm putting into, my, but shifting and moving into the industry. Yeah. What was that like? So it's interesting you say that. I don't find that most cannabis users are well educated about the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I especially like our generation, like millennials and going into Gen Z. Gen Z maybe a little bit more, but millennials you know everything. Um, yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> they grew up with like Google in their brain. Yeah, um, maybe a little bit more to an extent, but yeah, I find that a lot of people now need a lot of education and it helps them understand like why certain things happen. Um, I find that the, that the stigma is still there, even with people who use cannabis. And that's the craziest thing, right? Um, it it takes, it just, it's going to take a lot more education, a lot more mainstream crossover, um, it's funny. I, I just, uh, launched a newsletter called cannabis. 
I know. I'm a subscriber. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. First one, I just did like a little bit of Q&A, but the second newsletter, um, which, you know, we're recording this in March. I'm not sure when it will drop. (laughs) The second newsletter, the April newsletter um, is going to be about a lot of cultural crossover. Um, But yeah, I definitely think that that's what it's going to take to really eradicate the stigma and, and help people understand like what they're doing, why they're using cannabis. At the end of the day, cannabis is medicinal, has a lot of medicinal properties. It can also be overused. It can be abused. Um, all of these things. Uh, you can't die from using cannabis. You, you really can't overdose. It's, it's not humanly possible. Um, you'd have to do a lot. <laughs> Maybe some genetically modified, engineered, synthetic stuff. But Yeah, it's in your head that. half the time. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you can definitely get too high and get very, very paranoid. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. Almost everyone's had one of those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, even me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, education is going to be at the forefront of the industry mm-hmm. for the next. I, I, you know, one of the bills that President Biden just passed at the federal level, or um, I, I don't know if it's a bill per se. Uh, I'll I'll figure that out and we can quote it. But uh, it's pretty much he passed. I think it's a research bill. Um, to allow for more research at the collegiate level so we can get actual, you know, documented research. Because uh, mm-hmm. right now, a lot of stuff is just antidotal uh, and going off of stories and situations that we've seen work. But mm-hmm. we need research that is clinically proven that, you know, they can record and say, this is fact. Yeah. Right now, we don't have that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. Right. I think a lot of people like, you know, they've either used for a long time or whatever. And like, maybe some people know strands and what, you know, they're like, well, I know this, I take this edible. You even know. Yeah. I'm like, you don't even really know where'd you get that from and where did, where they get that from? You yeah. Know, you know what you're smoking. Right. And so I think like the really like exciting part maybe of your job that I would think of to be exciting is like having to move into that distribution and like understanding like where you're getting product from, what your products look like, what you want your quality of product to look like, what you want your reputation to be as it relates to the quality of your product. And like, that's got to be a very exciting shift for you. And also a very like educational experience um, to kind of move from, you know, being a consumer to now being like a business providing to consumers as well. So I, I think that that's probably... For me, that would be like the most exciting thing. I don't know if you would agree. So yeah, like you said, there's two sides to the educational piece. There's the like the science behind the plant and how it affects you and all the different properties of the plant and all of that and like the different types of products and different ways to use cannabis, all that fun stuff. And then, like you said, the business side of it and um, just the different regulatory structures. Every state has a different, a completely different cannabis industry. Right. And um, there's no interstate commerce, too. So like even how you were talking about how you get product and all of that, you can only if you're a licensed, legally licensed um, company, which is the name of one of my courses that I'm working on, legally licensed. But um, you you cannot ship product over state state lines. So you have to buy from the other entities that are licensed within your state. Some states have very limited licensing structures, so they cap the number of licenses, and it's an extremely competitive process to get in, like Maryland has been in the past. Mm -hmm. And then there are states like Oklahoma 
that have more of a typical like permitting process that if you meet the qualifications and you meet the zoning and all that stuff, you can open up your business and it's more typical. So um, they're all tracked by the state. There is no interstate commerce at the time. There are some states that are passing laws that would be enacted once there's some federal legislation that allows for it. Sure. I believe uh, Washington state has something because they have a surplus of product where the minute that they can, they want to be able to ship over state lines. Right. But, you know, you can imagine that these types of frameworks create completely different economic industries in each state. Yeah. So, you, know, you have some some states where the cost of a wholesale pound might be four thousand dollars, other states, fifteen hundred, other states, five hundred. Yeah. So, you know, it's just it's, it's a difficult industry to navigate. It's hard when you're an, a multi-state operator. You're in a whole bunch of different states. Um, you essentially are operating different companies almost. Yeah. I'm, it's interesting because it is right now like a very difficult industry to navigate. But if you think about the way that like we've agriculturally like built out our country in the event that it ever is just like another agricultural plant, like in the event that our federal government relaxes, our state and local decides to like stop, you know, identifying we're conservative now and like, you know, whatever the case may be, it turns into an agricultural like we think we don't know if it's gonna turn into like an agricultural uh uh, from a legislative perspective if they're gonna look at it like agriculture, like pharmacy like a pharmaceutical product. Yeah. Um or if they're gonna look at it like consumer packaged goods. Um, you know, liquor. So uh, the, I, I'm not sure exactly what the union is, but essentially like the, the liquor union that represents all the different liquor companies, it's like a coalition. They just wrote a letter to, to Congress right now talking about we should legalize cannabis just like how we've done liquor. They okay. want to do the, the kind of distribution model and all of that. Right. Some states have already adopted and then some states haven't. So it's kind yeah. of really interesting, you know, and the states want to protect their their licensees because the states have put in a lot of time and effort and money into creating these programs. And then people have built out millions of dollars worth of, of their businesses in in states and in these protected markets. So, I mean, the next 10 years or so in cannabis are going to be so interesting. I mean, and I feel blessed to, to be a part of this, you know, sometimes I forget that like, I mean, we're kind of making history. Right now. I, I mean, that's, I mean, it's an incredible time. It's so amazing that you were able to get in like on the ground floor and to be able to ride this wave. Um, I wonder if you, I mean, you have physical location, right? Mm-hmm. What was that experience like for you? Was that like the aha, like, yes, we're doing it. Or was yeah. it after, you know, a couple of folks came in and like made purchases? Like wh- what has that been like for you to have a physical location somewhere like brick and mortar? you can be standing in and understanding like you built this. Yeah, no, I feel amazing every time. I mean, especially like the first year when we were like just building it out before we had even opened, it used to be surreal to go and stand there and uh, see everybody working. And Mm -hmm. when we first got open, I mean, me, my mother, uh, my store manager, who's still my store manager. I mean, we were in there every day, all day, working in the store. I was checking out patients, accepting orders. I mean, I was doing every job, both security some days. Um, you know, I was doing every job in the store and it was so rewarding. Um, and it felt, it, it definitely felt surreal. Now I feel uh, motivated 
yeah. to scale and to grow and, and to do more, to help more people, to build uh, more community and, and a network of entrepreneurs. So, you know, I have huge aspirations for myself, but I don't want to do it alone. And um, I think my my that store will always be a reminder of kind of, you know, what it takes to just grind it out and have people believe in me, you know, yeah. to, to get it open. My mother um, and Dr. Bryant, who are my two uh, co-founders, and Dr. Bryant practiced right next door to my mother, who was a general dentist. He's an oral surgeon. My whole life, she opened the practice the year I was born. Um, so I've known Dr. B since I was born too. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, every time I look at that store, it's a constant reminder, like, wow, I had people that loved me enough to put me up on their shoulders. Yeah. Uh, my community loved me enough to support me. Um, and, you know, now I'm going to build something that is not just for me. I love that so much. And I love that you have this motivation to kind of continue to scale. This has obviously been a journey for you though. Like this is not something that has obviously been super easy. It's not like, okay, we've been, we've opened the store. No problem. Like, right. yeah, we're just getting approvals right and left. I mean, what would you say has been the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome? Like as a female entrepreneur in this space? Mm. Um, okay. So I think that my, I, I think there's like some obvious ones that every entrepreneur in this space goes through actually finding capital to go through things, um, being an independent dispensary, dealing with uh, wholesalers and, you know, their pricing and um, the last year or so in the cannabis industry, the industry as a whole all over the country has taken a huge hit um, and everybody feels that. So, yeah, I've gone through those things, but I think like unique to my experience, I think some of the hardest things for me have been, you know, people have put me on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to this industry. And I have a hard time uh, celebrating myself and all of those things. So I deal with a lot of uh, mental and internal struggle with the way other people see me, the way I see myself uh, and showing up, you know, yeah. it's difficult to show up for so many other people. And then I'm trying to show up for my business. So just like navigating all of those things have honestly been the most difficult. And, you know, I say that publicly because I think people, they think that everyone has it all together and all of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I promise you, even Beyonce probably sometime is like, how am I going to actually show up and be Beyonce today? The Beyonce that yeah. all of you guys think I am, oh. um, you know? So I think, yeah, I mean, I'm just human and trying to get through it. And I think that's been the hardest part to navigate and still be a leader, you know? I, I so appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. I do think like very naturally, a lot of people will just draw the response back to like their business or their choice. Um, And the reality is, is like what you're talking about is so true for just normal people, right? Just showing up is hard for normal people showing up as a boss in your, in your, your business hard showing up as a, you know, a advocate for your space hard. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure to be putting on um, yourself because you're also somebody that does want to show up, you know, hundred percent yourself and be able to be able, you know, be able to do what it is that you've, you know, committed to, or that you've essentially like said, I'm going to take this on. And it goes back to even what we were talking about at the very beginning of this segment. It's like, yes, you've had the amazing opportunity of like having 
you know, all these various speaking engagements and you have, you know, been a voice for the industry, but you're also stepping into the space with what you feel like is a lot of responsibility considering Mm -hmm. the way that black and brown communities have been essentially marginalized and completely like targeted um, within this industry specifically. And you're changing Mm -hmm. the narrative um, as a single individual, which is a lot to take on. Like that's a lot to take on. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate you sharing that and being open and vulnerable and, and, and being honest, because I think that can be sometimes a really challenging thing to do. When you um, think about what does help you show up every day, like what drives you, what is like the one word um, that kind of like helps keep you going day in, day out? I, I have wrestled with this question, um, but I think the the word that really helps me and keeps me motivated, no matter where, what, is legacy. Um, I I just I think about all the time, and it's funny. I was watching this Kevin Hart uh, little snippet of him saying, "Like, what is your book going to be like when you're not here anymore? Like, what did you do? Who did you help? What impact did you make?" Um, and I'm big on legacy. You know, my, my parent company's name is Wiseco. I hope to get married one day and somebody changed my last name, but <laughs> I hope that the, you know, the, the Wiseman name is still there. Um, you know, and I, I want my children to always know what I've done and, and their children and children after that. So I really want to build something that can carry on and transcend myself. Um, and that can make an impact on more than just my family, but my community as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, that can get be as big or as small as as the Lord sees fit. Um, you know, I started my business in Prince George's County, Maryland, where I'm born and raised, and I'm very thankful. And I hope that it gets to take me around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope I'm able to to make impact and and leave a legacy in all of those places. But you know, I'm really proud of even what I've done here in, in Prince George's County. As you should be, as you should be. When you think about the business and what the next, and you said the next 10 years are going to be transformative for this industry, but just thinking about your business specifically, and you think maybe like the next five years, what are like the things you're looking forward to and what are you, you know, planning that you're able to share? Yes, yes. Um, Well, Maryland, like I mentioned before, is about to go adult use. So right now in Maryland, you have to get a medical card. You have to be a Maryland resident, meet one of the requirements, and you can get a medical card. So as of July 1st, you'll be able to walk in if you're 21 and up with a government-issued ID. So super excited about that. It will totally expand my business and um, laws are changing, which, you know, I have the opportunity to influence right now. I've been going to bill hearings, testifying, talking to different legislators about my my thoughts and amendments I'd like to see in the bill. And then there's going to be a regulatory period with the commission um, later this summer. Where we'll, we'll get to talk about even more rules. So that's super exciting. And anyone who's in the Maryland cannabis should be a part of this conversation right now um, because these rules are going to stick for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited about those opportunities in Maryland. Um, I should also have opportunities to grow my business in Maryland through new licenses. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Um, I plan to help a lot of people get into the industry, teach a lot of people. So I've really been kind of getting into my consulting bag a little bit, which I've enjoyed. 
um, a lot. And I really, really love helping people. So I'm excited about all the new opportunities coming in a bunch of new states. And I got mm-hmm. a lot of people that I'm going to be helping and trying to put together some group programs so I could reach more um, people at once because I am only one person. Um, and then also we have some things going in New Jersey. Um, we are pursuing a manufacturing license there. Uh, and we plan to get some products on shelves there. I'm working to get some products in New York. Um, to get on some social equity uh, shelves there since they have a bunch of social equity licenses opening. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of the new direction of WiseCo. Like retail is always our, our baby and and our first love and our first skill set. But we're really working on bringing product lines to shelves, uh, working with retail partners to get them on shelves. So you might not see a bunch of Mary and Mains, but you might see a bunch of dispensaries that are powered by WiseCo. Um, with our brands on their shelves um, in the next five to 10 years. I am just sitting here geeking, obviously, like I, for some people are going to listen to this. Maybe some people will watch this, you know, whatever <laughs> the case may be. I'm just like smiling ear to ear. I just love hearing like your vision. I love that you are just like grinding. You are literally uh, an inspiration. While I don't see myself ever stepping into the cannabis world, I, de- I definitely see like your strength and your like determination to like set up and create a legacy for yourself and have like value tied to your name. And I just think that's like, so, so freaking amazing. Um, if you were to think about, uh, like one piece of advice that you would give anybody, maybe we could say, you know, another female entrepreneur or somebody that is like thinking about, you know, pivoting from, for all intents and purposes, investment banking is like to be in that industry, that's a safe industry, right? You know, you're going to make money, you know, you're going to be successful. You may not sleep. You may have some really weird habits that you like attract and attach to, but what would be the one piece of advice that you would give somebody? Um, my biggest piece of advice is to learn how to uh, dig into and trust your intuition early. Um, a lot of people will say things like, oh, this is the formula for you, blah, 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 blah. No, um, I think everybody's journey is is 100% different. I think, yes, there are safe ways to do things, and then there are super risky ways to do things. And I think that we were all built with different risk tolerance, different experience, different resources on purpose. So I'm not going to tell you what's best for you, but I think what has helped me is being able to trust my intuition. And I mean, I do it very relentlessly. And honestly, like sometimes I'm even like mad at myself, like, why do I have to do this? You know, I don't want to do this. And, but I just know that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I, I've gotten pretty good at it, but it's taken years of trying to be like, you know, what is that voice? You know, people always say kind of, um, I posted something on my Instagram not too long ago about like, how do you know when you hear God's voice? And it's like, you really got to continuously work on that and practice that. It's just like, you know, you can like probably hear your mother cough and know it's your mom from like miles, not miles away, but you know what I mean? Like across the room. Um, It takes a second to like be able to dial into that voice. So I would say like start cultivating that as early as possible. It's just, that's not something I was doing when I was like 16, 17. I definitely was not doing any self uh, internal shadow work or internal understanding, none of that. <laughs> and had I, I, I would have been a little further, but you know, we all got to go through our process. I don't think that's our journey at 16, you know, no, like, that's not our journey at 16. I, um, <laughs> <Way too wise. laughs> 
<laughs> I was um I was listening to a, a friend of mine and she uh, made like a very like hard stance on this. She thinks naturally people are just really bad at listening. Like we're just kind of bad listeners. Like the reality is that we're overwhelmed and, and overstimulated and like taking time to actually sit and listen can be really, really challenging. And so I think it's great advice, right. To like be able to continue to stay vigilant and continue to practice on how you listen to those little words or little voices or God's voice or your intuition, yeah, your whatever, God, whatever you, you want to call mm-hmm. it. Yeah, exactly. Cause I think it can help, um, you know, kind of push you down the, the right path. Okay. Um, if people want to learn more about you or they want to stay um, up to date with the things that are happening with WiseCo, what is the best way for them to do that? Where can they find you? Where can they subscribe to? What are all the things? Totally. So uh, best way to find me is on Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, if you really are trying to do business, go to my LinkedIn um, if you want to just stay up to date with what I have going on, my speaking opportunities, uh, educational stuff I put out, um, if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, head over to my Instagram at I am hope so dope. Um, people have been calling me that since middle school. I didn't make that name up. It works though. It does. It, it just it continuously works. And now I just <laughs> can't get rid of it. Um, I love it too much. <laughs> too. Don't get rid of it. Yeah. Hope, I really, really appreciate you taking time to chat with me. I know that you are a busy lady. And so this is like something that I'm very grateful for. And I'm so grateful for your honesty and openness and all of the like incredible work you're doing in the space and also Mm -hmm. the voice that you're having for women, but more importantly, the voices that your voice that you're having for women um, in your community, or more specifically the voice that you're having for black women. I think like, that's incredible. I love Mm -hmm. that you are who you are. And I have really, really been very, very grateful to like, even share space with you, sweat with you, work out with you, conversations with you. So thank you so much. You inspire me just as much. Ah, Thank you. (laughs) All right. That's the show. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, give us a follow on Instagram, driven by underscore blank, share it with your friends, pass along the good word. And for the love of God, continue to acknowledge your passions. Let love be your guide and always walk in purpose. Until next time, I'm Karen, and this has been a conversation about the intersection between passion and purpose.